0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com. I am here with the gas man, Mike Gastineau, legendary talk show radio host on Sports Radio 950 KJR Does uh, has done numerous play-by-plays and best friends of Bobby Knight was was (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Uh, Mike, you know, having you on because you know your new book come out. uh, Fear no man. Let me just tell you, I picked it up, and the first impression means a lot. And I pick it up, and it. I mean, you didn't skimp. (laughs) I mean, this high quality materials. That's the first thing I noticed. You know, high quality, uh, pictures in the middle, kind of old school, pictures in the back, kind of old school. But uh, looks like you put some effort into not just the contents in the book, but the actual materials that you used in the book. And that's what caught my eye first.
2: Well, yeah, I'm glad you said that. And I'd love to take all the credit for that. Uh, UW Press did a remarkable job of designing this book. And I had a little bit of input But it was that they they came to me, The, the, the one big thing I had, and this was from the very beginning, when I first started talking with them a couple of years ago, and we talked about this project. In my mind, I knew what I wanted the front of the book to look like. And then when I told them, I said, Look, there is a photo. Of Steve Entman. And if you mention it to anyone who's a Husky fan who watched that team, they know exactly what photo I'm talking about. And I go, we have got to get that photo for the cover of the book. And it's the, you know, I, I studied the videotape. It was like the Zabruder film. I was really looking at it closely and, and was able to ascertain based on the angles and how everybody's standing. It was after the second play of the Arizona game. Everybody remembers yep. the Arizona game, how exciting it was. Entman blows through the line on the first play and tackles uh, uh, George Malaulu. Uh, and then on the second down, does the exact same thing. And it's after both of the plays, he kind of pops up and throws his arms up. But it's after the second one that Mark Harrison, the late Mark Harrison of the Seattle Times, took you know snapped this photo of, of Steve. And I mean, y- you couldn't get a photo that exhibits the joy of playing football any more than this one. I mean, he's he's got his arms up in the air, index fingers extended. Malauulu is on the ground beneath him. Um, it's such a great photo, and I knew when we first got started that that's what I wanted on the front of the book. So we did that, and then the rest of the design was was all them, and they did a great job with it.
1: You know, going back to that game and that play, you know, first first play bust through, got the quarterback, second play, Busts through, gets the quarterback.
2: I'll never forget what happened next. Do you yeah. remember what happened next? Uh, malulu comes to the line and, and starts. I, I think he, he did, looks. And he started he, calling signals, and he looked at him and said, "You know what? We're gonna call timeout here. <laughs> yeah, it's his timeout. Game over." <laughs> I mean, I never knew this for sure, but I always joked that he walked over to Dick Tomey and said, "Now look, you got to come up with a plan for this guy because he's gonna kill me if you don't."
1: No, that was one of my favorite Husky moments of all time. I mean, just Steve just. I mean, he, they had no answer. And that game was, that game was over after two plays, but you know, uh, Mike, just, like I said, you know, the quality of the
2: book, I'm looking at all the legal stuff and I'm going, was this as much work as you thought it was going to be? It was a lot of work. You know, again, I've done, uh, I, I did a a book in 2009 with RTL and Steve Rudman called the great book of Seattle sports list. And that one, we, we had a publisher for that and, and it was three of us, so the work was divided, and, and it wasn't as much. But there was an awful lot to satisfy by the publisher. Now, the next couple of books I did, the Sounders book and the book about uh, uh, Joe Perzycki, the first uh, whitehead football coach at a historically black college, I self-published those. Now, you still have to hire an editor. You've got to come up with the artwork. You've got to go through a lot of process. But it's not the same as having a publisher, because you know the publisher is and, and the editor for the publisher – is going to constantly challenge you and constantly say, wait a minute, is this, is this the best we can do? Can we do this better? And, and I had a great editor, a guy named Andrew Brzezanskis who just worked with me from day one. He was kind of a shepherd leading me through this long journey. And uh, so I was, I was fortunate with that and uh, it, it was, it was work, but and in all honesty, when you get a great story, and you start getting people talking to you about it. It, it become, for me, it becomes an obsession. But it, it, it becomes—I don't know—labor of love might be overstating it a little bit. But but it becomes kind of fun, you know. It, it's it's, and especially doing history books. There's a little bit of detective work involved. You got to track things down. You got to double check stuff. People's memories, you know, even the people that were participating, their memories get a little foggy, like all of us. You know, if I ask you something that happened 30 years ago, you've probably got the basics. But at some point, we got to go back and say, okay are you right about this let's double check this fact let's do that and I really enjoy that part of the process
1: I always say you know that one of the cool things about the internet you know as opposed to the newspapers they had a word count on the internet you don't but uh, you know I used to talk to those guys and they would do some amazing stories but a lot of the good stuff you know they had to clip it out and leave on the floor how much how much could you write a second book on this Mike
2: yeah, I think you could, and you, you, I think there's a couple different you know ideas that you could could go. Um, there, there's a lot of material. You know, there were guys I didn't get to talk to. You have eventually you have to start writing, and and there were some guys I wanted to talk to that I just I couldn't hook up with for a variety of reasons, or who didn't want to talk, and and that's fine. I, you know, I talked to plenty. I think I talked to sixteen former players and six former six or seven former coaches, and a bunch of media people. And the other thing, Kim, you know, speaking of newspapers. 1991 that Huskies team was covered by eight daily newspapers. That's how many dailies we had in the Puget Sound region. I mean, and so that was actually a lot of fun was going up into the UW archive room. And and they just let me in there for like eight hours at a time. And I mean, I geeked out completely just reading old stuff and, and taking notes and Hey, I bet nobody remembers this little, you'd find these guys, you know, a beat writer doing a notebook item going, Hey, wow. I wonder if anybody even remembers this happened. And, but, but you think of, you know, the day and age when you had the Times and the P.I. and the News Tribune, you had an Everett paper, you had the, the Journal American, uh, Bremerton had a paper. You, it just, and, and they all had good writers. They all had you know, people who were really dedicated to doing a good job. So I, I think you could probably, you know, I, I would by no means uh, uh, close out the idea of doing something else on this team because they're one of the greatest teams ever, and, and there's a lot of different angles you can take with them.
1: You know, uh, Mike, when I talked to you, initially about coming on and doing this I thought you know one of the things that struck me was why you did this because Mm -hmm. you you didn't do this for rock star money that's for sure but uh, (laughs) (laughs) why I mean what prompted you to do this what was the motivation behind
2: it there's a couple of things you know I got here in June of 91 so my first real memory of uh, of this uh, of this city is is that 91 Huskies team I'd certainly gone to Mariners games and I'd been to a couple of Seahawks games and all that but you know the Huskies were the thing back then I mean they were the hardest ticket in town to get uh they were you know sold out they had great tv ratings they were nationally you know the the sonics were still you know still percolating in their in their you know kind of pre-george carl phase and getting ready to explode the hawks were really at a at a a low point in their franchise history the mariners hadn't done anything yet The, the the huskies were the the big story and so there was that um they reminded me, there's two two other things I'd mentioned. They reminded me a little bit, and I remember thinking this in 91, one of the reasons I like that team so much is they reminded me of the 76 Indiana basketball team. You mentioned Bob Knight earlier, you know, the last unbeaten team in college basketball, and just such a great, powerful team. And a team, a lot of things in common, a team that was so deep, they had second string guys that would have started on most other teams in the country, Indiana did. They uh, Their fans will tell you, just like 91 Washington fans will tell you, Well, that that team the year before was really good. May have been even better. And the seventy five Indiana team was terrific, but lost to Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. Uh, You you know, typical this or similar to this ninety team that lost to UCLA. So there were some similarities there. (coughs) Excuse me. And it it really um, that kind of touched me a little bit. And then as the years went by, I kept thinking about this team, and it always kind of occurred to me that you know their legacy is complex you know, what happened the next year with Billy Joe? And then in the, the, and then in 93, Don walks away. And there was a lot of controversy around that. Steve Entman has been a little estranged from the university at times. A lot of the guys who played on that 91 team went on and played pro football and moved to other cities and didn't settle here. There's, I think there's a tendency sometimes to, I don't want to say forget, but to almost overlook the 91 team because of some of those things. And I, I wanted to, and that's why I just focused on, on the, the football uh, that this team played. I mean, the whole second half of the book is just the 91 season and the first half is building up to that. But I wanted to really remind everyone again, how great they were, how dominant they were, how great Don James was, how, uh, nationally recognized Jim Lambright and Keith Gilbertson were as innovators and creators and guys that were doing things way ahead of their time. And, and so that was the big thing was to, you know, to, to protect the legacy of this team a little bit and to have a, have a book that people can always look to and go, yeah, here, here's not only, and, and look, I, I know this is always subjective, but in my opinion, I don't think there's any argument. This is the greatest team in Washington history. And they're one of the, top 10 top 12 teams of all time i i believe I, I just don't you know i don't know if they're the greatest college football team ever but you know they're in that mix they're in that discussion and, and they wouldn't have shied away from playing anybody
1: you dove deep into a lot of stuff for researching this you know maybe tell me something that you kind of stumbled across and you thought wow
2: this is really cool i didn't know that i i think you know, maybe I kind of knew it, but I think the biggest thing I got out of this was um, the influence and, and the importance of Gilby and Lambeau and Dick Baird, you know, these three guys. And, you know, I didn't know Dick's story, and I loved telling it about you. Dick Baird was a 38-year-old graduate assistant. You know, James almost died didn't hire him at first. He's like, look, you got four kids, you're 30. What do you want to be a GA for? And Dick was like, I want to work in college football and I want to work for you. And he can, you know, and, and then I didn't know also, and this is a cool part of the story a, a big reason because you know, Dick's personality and you know, Don's personality, you wouldn't think Don James would hire Dick no. Bear. They're just no. different cats. And One of the reasons Don did is because he got a big recommendation from a guy Don thought was really, really smart. And that's Lenny Wilkins. Dick Baird had run Lenny Wilkins, basketball camps. And by now Lenny had been an NBA champion and, and, and was, you know, the toast of the town. And when he told Don, you should talk to this guy, he really does a good job relating to kids that carried a lot of weight with Don James, you know more than anything else. That was like, hmm, okay. If Lenny thinks Lenny's the, you know, Lenny is at the the a, a level a little higher than where Don was at the time in terms of winning a championship. And Don's like, if Lenny Wilkins thinks this guy is good, and I think Lenny's pretty good at coaching, I'm going to talk to this guy. So there, there was you know that that story was was neat. Um, you know, talking to the guys about 1990 and how important that season was to them and, and going back to that UCLA game and, and how they just took their eye off the ball that week because they started thinking they could win the national championship. And, you know, it's one of the craziest weeks in college football history, Kim, the, the week before the UCLA game uh, when Washington wins and they, they clinched the Rose bowl, they're, they're going to go back to the Rose bowl. So they're all excited about that. And on that same afternoon, six of the top eight teams in the country lose, So a wild day, and by the time the polls come out, it's Notre Dame number one, Washington number two. So all of a sudden now, Washington's got a path to win the national championship, and the the bellyaching starts almost immediately among fans. Hey, why is Notre Dame number one? They haven't played as tough a schedule as we have. Look, they barely beat Stanford. We destroyed Stanford, you know, back and forth. And and Notre Dame that week is going to Tennessee, and Washington's got a a down UCLA team in Seattle. So the narrative becomes, you know what? Tennessee's going to beat Notre Dame. And then we're going to beat UCLA and we're going to be number one and we're going to win the championship and we're going to the white house. And the, you know, the players couldn't help, but hear that chatter. And, and and we all know what happened. UCLA comes in on a rainy day and, and somehow beats the Huskies and, and, and just deflates the pro. Ed Cunningham says the lowest he's ever been in football was after that game. That they just all knew they had really, really blown a great opportunity, and that that's when they dial back and go, "Okay, now nothing but our best will suffice until we have have satisfied winning this championship." And that's kind of what sets up the '91 season. You know, it's it's
1: kind of funny about you know Don James. You know, I did, I had several interactions with Don James and I mean, it was almost like dealing with my dad. He was just kind of, he was just kind of quiet, unassuming, just talk to him and just normal conversation. But I never saw that other side. These guys talk about, I remember going up to um, one of the players at a party and um, and a lot of players were there and Don was there. And I I said to him, It was Darius Turner, actually. Remember Darius? Mm, Sure. Darius is a big dude. And I said, hey, have you said hi to coach? And he looks at me and he says, no. (laughs) I said, said, why not? He goes, you don't go up and say hi to coach. I go, he's like my dad. I mean, he's easy to talk to. And he goes, look at that little guy. He said, I could kick his ass. Mm -hmm. He goes, Scared to death of him, though. Yeah. You dealt with Don a lot. You saw that side that I only got exposed to. Did you ever see that side
2: that scared the crap out of Darius Turner? I'd have to say no. I dealt with him more like you did. I mean, I always had great interactions with him. But um, you also, I, mean, I I do remember this. So when I first got to KJR in 91 and I was doing some fill-in stuff, and then I eventually started doing a daily show in October of 91 – I don't remember when it was maybe in December of that year, maybe after they had won the pac 10 and they're getting ready to go to the Rose bowl to play Michigan. I, I, I got him as a guest on my show. And I remember being a little intimidated by that. Like, okay, I can't screw this up. I, I, I don't want to joke around with that. He, 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 he really commanded that kind of respect out of you. And you, you, but, but I liked him from the start and I liked how he carried himself. And then I got to know him, you know, doing the radio show with him after he resigned and, um, and and got to see a whole different side of him, and 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 saw how much uh, affection he had for his wife Carol, and and how much affection they had for each other, and it really became something I kind of strived for in my own life and my own marriage. Of, you know, look at look at these two; they've been together 36 years, and the love is just genuine and and sweet. And you know, Carol used to come in to all the radio shows, and you know, I, I at first I was like, I thought that's kind of weird. It's like, why is she coming in here? You know what? What's what's in it for her? And and she told me. I asked her, and we liked her. She was great to have around. Don't get me wrong, but it was just. I I said, why why you do this? And she goes, you know, for all those years in his coaching, we were always apart. She goes, I want to be with him now as much as I can. And I just thought that was such a sweet thing. Um, a couple of the players told me, and and this story's in the book too. That that uh, and Don always said I have an open door. But the same thing. A lot of the players are like, hey, he has an open door. I'm not going in there. <laughs> I'm you not go going in there. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, uh, the upperclassmen would tell the younger guys, if you go see coach for any reason, write down what you want to talk about on a card or a piece of paper, because you will get in there and you will forget why you came in. You will be so overwhelmed. And, and Don used to love, uh, he, he'd let him squirm a little bit for me you know, to, you know, to go back and forth and finally Don and say, well, I, I see you have a little note card there. Did you have something you want to talk about? And, you know, he, um. He was the CEO. He was, he was the boss and there was no, and, and, you know, he didn't have to scream at guys. I mean, I'm sure he did, you know, he did occasionally, but he didn't, he didn't have to, he, you you know, he was a guy who just, when he walked, walked in the room, everybody got quiet when he, when he said something, everyone listened. Um, You know, he was, uh, I I ran into some guy, I can't remember his name. I ran into a guy uh, uh, last Saturday at the stadium at the scrimmage. And he said his, he had a friend who was a punter, sometime in the early 80s and said that in four years Don said one thing to him what he said was you got to punt the ball further (laughs) and then the guy went on I forget what his name is he went on had a great career and and he and Don became you know not necessarily friends but Don was like I'm so proud of you look what you're doing with your life look what you're doing with your career but the only thing he said to him football wise is you got to punt the ball further (laughs) it was uh it, it was a real focus thing for him.
1: Yeah, you know, Mike, you've you've been around a lot of guys. You've been around a long time, which is basically my way of saying you're old. But yeah, right, <laughs> you ever been around anybody who had that kind of a presence?
2: You know, I'd say a few guys. I mean, Mike Holmgren certainly had that with the Seahawks. I haven't been around Carroll enough. Carroll's a completely different guy, and you know, you know, is loose and tries to relate to the players more. But Mike Holmgren kind of had that, I think, respect level with the players. Um, I think Nate McMillan had it and has it now in Atlanta. I always really admire those guys. Those those guys are comfort, I call comfortable in your own skin. They're they don't. They're not putting on an act. Uh, they're not uh, doing anything that, that's out of the ordinary. This is how it goes. This is how we do things. I mean, I, I like the stories you hear about Bill Belichick where he, you know, maybe these days are over for him, but they would bring in a guy to New England. He would meet with him and always say, now, listen, we've won a lot of Super Bowls before you got here. So we'll have no trouble cutting you if you don't want to do things the way we do them. Cause we'll keep winning Super Bowls whether we have you or not, that kind of level of confidence. I always kind of admire in a coach. Uh, and I think Don had that too. Here's how we do things. And if you don't want to do them this way, that's fine. You don't have to come here, but we're not changing for you. You're going to adapt to how we do stuff. Yeah. Just
1: a quick story, you know, a little bit about Don, but um, this was a couple of years ago I was down um, in San Francisco uh, for the um, for the Cal uh, Stanford game, actually. And you know where the airport is in Oakland? I flew into Oakland. They got all those hotels over by, you know, the airport, by right. the stadium there. So I was staying there and there was a party going on for the Oakland Raiders. And I was sitting at the bar having a drink and the place was packed with Raider fans. And there was a guy, I didn't recognize him. And it finally hit me. It was Fred Bolitnikoff. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, I just waited for it to cool down a little bit. And I went over and said, you know, hey, I, you know, I just don't want to butt in, but I said, you know, I just got to tell you a story real quick. I said, you know, years ago, I interviewed Don James um, because Fred Belenikoff played for Don James back at Florida state. You know, Robbie Bowden was on that staff. And I said, you know, one of the questions I asked him was who's the best football player you ever coached. And I expected him to say Steve Entman or Jack Lambert back in Kent state. Mm -hmm. But he said the name that came out of his mouth was, Fred (laughs) Balintnikoff. And he just went like white as a ghost and said, Don James said that about me. I said, he did. And just what you, he didn't even have to say it, the impact that had on him because of the amount of respect that he had for Don James. And, and he just said, Don James and uh, Carol James are two of the finest people I've ever met. And, you know, just him hearing that just had a big impact on you know, and Don had that impact on people.
2: He, he did. And I, I swear, I, I think I remember him saying that to me once too. And, 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 and he would, cause Don would be consistent with a question like that, but you, you know, the guys you know, who played for, I mean, I mean, she, it's funny, a funny story. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Dick Baird uh, about this book and, and, you know, Dick was an absolute, you know, fountain of great stories, as you might suspect and none of them are salacious or, or, but, but a couple of them are, are, you know, a little bit out there. And he goes, I, I, you know, I don't know if I should tell you this. And I go, why? He goes, well, Don might be upset. And I'm like, well, you know, God, God rest his soul. Don's not here anymore. And Dick's like, he, he might come back. You never know. <laughs> and, and so the respect that these guys still have for him, the respect that these guys have for team, you know, the, the funny thing, the title of the book, fear, no man. Um, comes from a phrase that the defensive backs use you know they they the oskies always come up with those three word phrases one for the team and then the position groups come up with their own fear no man was one the defensive backs used for, for a couple of years after they went to that blitzing attacking defense and the defensive backs are on an island most of the time and they're like all right our motto has got to be fear no man that's the only way we can make it work and uh larry slade told me that the defensive backs coach told me that story and i asked dana hall i said what um you, you you remember that? And he's like, ah, I don't, I don't know. And I'm like, God, they're still protecting that. You know, they're, 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 it's the team. <laughs> ah. I can't tell you what was what was a part of the. I had a conversation with Dave Hoff, but it, it, in, in the book, he talks about how there, there was there was at least one guy on the defense. They'd serve the players hot chocolate the night before games, you know, which, as Eric Bjornson points out, is really not that smart. It's got sugar and caffeine. And hey, what are we doing this one? But that was the big night before the game. Treat was hot chocolate. Why they'd watch a video and talk about the next day's game. And um, so so Bjornson tells me this story and Hoffman goes, oh, yeah, there was one guy on the defense that used to slurp his hot chocolate. And I was ready to put him in prison. And I'm like, well, who was it? Oh, I can't tell you, brother. Like, Come on, man. It's been 30 years. It's slurping hot chocolate. But, you know, there, there's – that code among championship teams of, Hey, there's, you know, and there's a lot of great stories that I did here, but there's, there's some stuff that they want to keep to themselves, which I, I really respect and admire that there, there's still that stuff that only they will know. And that's part of what makes a great team. How long did it take you to do the entire book Mike? I'd, I'd say probably about 18 months stretched over two years. You know, I took a, a couple of different breaks at times and and I, I actually, I pitched uh, UW Press on the idea actually in December of 2018, and I, I did kind of an outline, and here's what it will look like, and they wanted a sample chapter, so I kind of wrote what I thought a chapter would look like, and then it took them about five months to to decide if they thought this was a good idea, and they did, uh, and so June of 2019 is maybe when we really started working uh, on a lot. And I mean, I, I took a few weeks off here and there, but w- when I'm, when I'm doing a book, I really immerse myself in it and just try to make it the only thing I'm doing all day, every day and, and really sweating all the little details and stuff. So that, that's, um, you know, the nice thing was the deadline from the very start, we agreed, look, let's publish this in conjunction with the 30th anniversary of the team. So from the very start, the deadline was relaxed. There was never, a, and, and and that can be good and bad, but there was never a time where it's like, hey, we got to get this done by the end of the week because we got to get it here. You know, I had plenty of time to buff the thing up and get it the way I wanted it.
1: How do you know you're done with it? I mean, when you're you're in the process, when do you know you're done?
2: I, 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 I you know, I don't have a good answer for that. I do think it's it's kind of obvious in your mind. I mean, I, I always say, you know, you can you can do so much operating, you can kill the patient, you know, I mean, in some ways a book is never done. There's, there's stuff I'd look at now and go, "Eh, I might've done that different if I thought about it differently. But at some point you go, look, this is it. Here's the story. I was content that it, it accurately told uh, the story of this team. And I was content that there was enough, either new information or information people have forgotten over 30 years that it would be an interesting read because it's it's one thing to say, hey, there's this cool book, but I mean is it good? Is it interesting? And I didn't want it to just be game after game after game. You know, you you just do the highlights every game and it's like, well that's just a scrapbook. You know, you've got to tell some stories and you've got to flash back occasionally and, and throw some curveballs in there. So I did have a great time writing because I did write a few what I would call game stories. The Nebraska chapter is the longest chapter in the book. And I liked writing it as if nobody knows what happens. Everybody knows how the book ends. Everybody knows they win all the games, but I tried to put enough suspense in there that like the Nebraska game, you're going to be going, are they going to come back and win this? They seem like they're in real trouble here. The Cal game, you know, which the players are all still kind of funny. They're like, Oh, we were never in trouble at Cal. I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> they, they were throwing it into the end zone on the last play of the game to tie you or go for two and beat you. What do you mean you were never in trouble? No. Uh, so it, it was fun to write those close call games uh, uh, and, and kind of put a little suspense in them.
1: We're, we're doing this on Thursday. The, bo- the book was released on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It was released yesterday. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe short sample size, but what's the reaction been so far?
2: Well, I'll tell you, it, it, it was so good that actually about a week ago, the, the, the pre-orders, and I don't, I don't know how any of the, the this stuff you know works. One of the things when you self-publish, you've got a view to all the backroom stuff. You can see exactly how many copies you're selling, where they're being purchased, that kind of thing. I, you have to let some of that control go when you have a publisher because they handle all that and they've got ways of doing it. But they reached out to me about a week or 10 days ago at UW Press and said, listen, the, the reaction on pre-sales and the reaction we're seeing among fans and in media, we're going to double the original run. What we had planned on printing, we're going to print twice as many. So they, and they know they do shoot. They do. I don't know how many 40, 50, 60 books a year. I mean, UW press does a ton of different books every year. Uh, So they've got an idea that this thing's going to sell a lot. And I, I, I hope it does for all the obvious reasons, but um, the reaction so far has just been great. And it's been fun to hear back. You know, I took a book over to Carol James. I'd gone to her very early in the process. And I said, look, I don't need your permission to do this, but I want you to know I'm doing it. And I want you to know what my motivation is. And, and she was so supportive and so enthusiastic and never once said, hey, put this in or don't put this in. She had ideas and thoughts. And I talked to her quite a bit about Don and, and, and through a conversation with her is kind of how I started thinking about getting Nick Saban to do the forward so it, hearing from her, uh, I heard from Ed Cunningham yesterday. Uh, I heard from Orlando McKay, several of the players who I worked with and I sent them all copies of the book and they all seem really excited about it. So that, that means a great deal to me. What would Don James say about the book? I think he'd like it. I hope Don would like it. I think what he'd like a lot is that again, Gilby and Lambeau get a lot of credit. Randy Hart, Crystal, all the assistant coaches come in and 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 they get to tell stories and, and I, I tried to give them a lot of credit. I, I've always had, you know, respect for the entire coaching staff of any organization, but in talking to these guys and in talking to the players and the stuff that they remembered and, and the way Don coached, you know, Don was the tower coach and had his, had his lieutenants down on the field doing the, doing the, uh, uh, you know, the hand to hand stuff, if you will. Um, I, I think Don would like that. A lot of the assistants got credit. I think he'd love how much we wrote, you know, I wrote about the players and and, and what they were about and, and how they did things and, uh, and it was, you know, look, it was his finest hour as a coach. So I, I think he'd like it before I get into how you can get the book. We miss you on radio gas. What have you been up to? Tell people what you've been up to. You, are you living out on Alcatraz, Washington? Yeah. Or, yeah. What, what's go, what's uh, going on? I, I, I'm reminded of my old friend, the late Pat O'Day, when I asked him, I said, what are you doing up there? And he goes, uh, cause I live on Whidbey Island. Pat lived up on San Juan and, and Pat goes, I'm wandering around talking to the trees and I don't think they're <laughs> listening. And that's kind of what I do now. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time on this book. Um, I, I've got a, a, another book project in mind. Uh, the book I did in 2018, I mentioned earlier, Mr. Townsend and the Polish Prince, we're in the process of developing that into a movie. And and I'm more, I'd say I'm an advisor on that. We've got a script writer and a producer and 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 we're, we're trying to get the script done. And and so that's been a really fun process, you know, just seeing how that works. and 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 that's exciting. But you know, it, t- it took me a while. I did a little, you know, a little substitute teaching at KJR for a while. And and I enjoyed that, but eventually I said, you know what, I'm, I'm a writer now, this is what I want to do. And, and, and so, I've, you know, I've got other projects and other ideas um, and I'd pick up a freelance thing here and there and and do, do a few different things. Uh, but for the most part, it's uh, it's kind of geared towards writing. And um, what I'm doing now is is talking about this book and trying to get people excited about it. And, you know, I, I'm always subscribed to the theory of, of look, I'll, I'll beat the drum as loud as I have to. I did not write this thing to put it on my shelf and look at it. I wrote it so people will buy it and enjoy it. And that's what my goal is out of this. We're going to get the book. Yes, you can get the book anywhere you buy books. If you've got a favorite bookstore, and I know there's not as many of them as there used to be, but there's you know a lot of them that are hanging in there. You can go in there. They'll either have it or they can order it for you and get it real quick. If you're an online shopper, you can go to the University of Washington Press site and order it there. Amazon has it. Although I know yesterday they were saying it was still, it was back ordered again. I think a lot of people have gone through there. And, and so, uh, you know, as I said on, on Twitter, I I told Jeff, I can't remember if I was on his yacht or my yacht. And we were having (laughs) gin and tonics and talking about riding into space. And I said, you better have a lot of these books ordered. And I don't think he listened to me. So, uh, but Amazon can get it, um, anywhere you buy a book, You, you can buy it. And, uh, and, and I hope people like it and enjoy it any chance you're going to be maybe at a Husky game before a game with book signing, anything yeah. like that, anything like that uh, lined up yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure when you're going to run this, but yeah, September 4th at noon from noon to two uh, the Huskies play Montana that day at five from noon to two uh, university bookstore on the Ave. We're going to do a signing so you can buy the book there uh, and, uh, and I'll sign it for you. I'll personalize it. And uh, they're, they're going to ask that you wear a mask and we're, we're having to obviously be cognizant of, uh, of those kinds of things. Uh, but uh, we'll have as much fun as we can Um, and I'm doing um, we're going to do a signing the day of the cow game at Chinooks over at Fisherman's Terminal and then I'm going to hop on the dog boat which I've hosted for years from Chinooks and ride over to the cow game but we'll we'll do a signing there Um, and we've got a few I mean I'm going to I'll put everything that we do out on social media and, and let people know. But, you yeah, I, I want to do as many of those as I can, because I've had a lot of people reaching out. How can I get a signed copy? That's, that's very flattering. And I'm, I want to make myself as available as I can for that. Mike, you got to do one in a bar and invite Gros down. I mean, do it the right way. That's not a bad idea. Actually, that, that is not a bad idea at all. I know Graz got the book and has been very complimentary and uh, we, we probably should just, uh, just he and I, it, it'd be so weird, such a foreign environment for Graz and I to be in a bar that, that would be odd for us, but we'll, we'll do, I want to do a lot of those kinds of things and um, cause it, that's part of the fun of it too is, you know, when I did my, particularly with the Sounders book um you meet so many fans and and they've all got really interesting individual stories. Oh, yeah. My, my uncle did this and this and this and knew this guy. And then, you know, my, my brother was this, or was a big fan or my, my, my uh, sister was serving overseas in the air force. And uh, she said, one of the things that kept her going was, uh, you know, she would, you know, listen to games or say, you know, that kind of stuff's always really cool to hear. It's, it, it's, you know, really at the core of what we all do, which is, you know, connecting the, the fans to the, to the sports and the sports, the way it just kind of, weaves a community together is really cool
1: I just remember being in Boise it was you and Graz and McGrath and Ray Ratto having drinks I just shut the hell up and listen to you guys (laughs) (laughs) I mean go and McGrath getting a call from his wife honey 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 Kim just bought me a shot of tequila can I call you back
2: (laughs) I I gotta go. I, I always tell people the, the, I, one of the, one of the absolute high points of my career was the spring training shows I did for years on KJR and the, the shows were fine, but what was fun was going out at about nine in the morning and from nine to 11, they'd take batting practice and do some fielding stuff and, and, when Lou Piniella was the manager and Dave Niehaus was the broadcaster, and I would just stand next to them, and I was like a little kid. Hey, God, uh, would one of you guys tell a story, please? And they'd just start talking <laughs> oh, yeah. and BSing and 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 hearing them talk about baseball. And between the two of them, they had you know a hundred years combined baseball experience, and they had so many great stories. And, and you're right; th- those kind of things are really fun to do.
1: And that's why I'd like to see you do a book signing and invite all those guys and just let the liquor and the stories flow. I, I yeah. promise I'll be quiet.
2: Yeah. No, you, you, you can be as noisy as you want. I, 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 I don't, I don't have all the answers. I want people volleying and stuff. So yeah, we'll, we're going to do, I know I'm going also uh, um, I'm going to go down for the Stanford game. We're going to do a thing with the UW alumni association in the Bay area. And we'll try and make that as as much fun as possible. And, and, uh, and then hopefully have a lot of Huskies fans down there who want to, uh, who want to talk about the, the team and the, and the story.
1: Fear no man written
2: by Mike Gastineau,
1: available at all your popular bookstores and uh, online as well. Mike, thanks for jumping on
2: and doing this with us. Kim, I, I can't thank you enough. I, I, I love it. And I know this is where dog fans come for info. So uh, it's, it's great to be on here. I appreciate it. Thanks.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.